This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. For joining us online, uh, then we give you a very warm welcome uh, today. You know, I think it's Will Durant that said, we are what we repeatedly do. We are what we repeatedly do. We are but a collection of our habits, aren't we? Have you noticed that? Any of you here got good habits? Hands up, those of you who got particularly good habits that you think. Okay, name me some of your good habits. Come on, bit of participation this morning. Sleeping, that's a really good habit. Why are you sleeping a good habit? Because it releases all kinds of toxins from our brains. Go and see the Sleep Foundation, a great website. Uh, that tells us all about the benefits of sleep. Not too much sleep. Too much sleep is bad for you. But as uh, uh, I think it was Chris Aldo at the back that says sleep is a good thing for us. Any more of you got good habits? Pardon? Reading. Reading. That's a good habit as well. Uh, Knowledge brings wisdom, says the word of God, isn't it? Understanding God and understanding the things of the world. Anybody else got any good habits? Washing the dishes. Are you looking for brownie points here this morning, Brian? You are. Washing the dishes, that's a good habit. Keep things clean. So let's talk about bad habits for a minute. How many of you got bad habits? Come on, confession time. I've got a bad habit. One of my bad habits is I bite my nails. Oh, any of you got that one? But I just can't stop myself from doing it. I see on the, on the oh, next thing I'm biting my nails. Anybody who's got particularly bad habits as well? Snoozing the alarm clock. Snoozing the alarm clock. Oh, that's a killer, isn't it? If you snooze, you lose. We are but a collection of our habits. And it was interesting, I thought, that uh, uh, you quoted this morning the Gospel of Mark, like uh, you, uh, Martin. I am... Uh, doing something uh, at the moment, which is I'm reading the God through August and through September. I don't know why I decided to do it. Mark uh, is a, is one of the founding gospels. Um, we now know, or scholars have taught us, that the Gospel of Mark is the uh, the foundation of the Synoptic Gospels. Those of us that believe in Markan theory, if you want to call it that, that Mark it's off the Gospel of Mark when he wrote that uh, in Rome. That it's off that that Luke. And that Matthew, the synoptic gospels, the one that see things from the same point of view, synoptic gospels, were written. And Mark is probably the easiest of gospels for us to read. It's only 16 chapters. How many chapters is it? 16. So you can, you know, read it once in a month easily. Um, twice in a month if you're really focused and double up on a few pa- past, uh, few chapters. So that's what I've been doing for the last, uh, for, for the month of August and uh, in September. I've been reading the Gospel of Mark through and through and through. And something incredible and quite transformative has been happening. As I've been reading it, I've discovered stories that I didn't know were even contained in the Gospels themselves. And one of the things I noticed, and I don't know it's because, whether it's because I'm studying this thing called habit in my personal life uh, at the moment, and I'm just looking at how they form and how we change bad habits, from to, uh, good, uh, bad habits into good habits. In fact, Erasmus, another quote on habits, he said, as one nail drives out another, so a good habit replaces a bad habit. 
And there are lots of people that talk about the subject of addiction and talk about the subject of habit formation in the first place. And one of the things we're learning scientifically is that if you try and fill, uh, try and get rid of a habit and filling it with a void, that doesn't work. You must replace a habit with something that's a good habit we're learning. In fact, one of the books I finished reading while I was on holiday is this book by Charles Duhigg called The Power of Habit. And as I was finishing this book, and then I've started reviewing and reading this book, a shout out to my uh, friend Richard Tubbs that in introduced me to this book by David Allen called Getting Things Done. How many of you like to get things done? And what's transformative about this book in particular, it's the art of stress-free living. He tells us that if it takes two minutes to do things, less than two minutes to do things, we should do it now. That cup that needs cleaning uh, on the uh, side of the worktop, maybe, Brian, or whatever needs doing, if it takes less than two minutes to do it, do it now, is Dave Allen's uh, theory, and it's one of the things that I've been doing ever since. If it takes less than two minutes, in fact, Sarah and me came home from holiday last night, and we came in, and we noticed the recycling bin needed changing. It takes less than two minutes to, to do it, so we did it there and then, didn't we, Sarah, as we changed the recycling bin together. How messed up is that? How messed up is all of this thing called habits? But we are but a collection of our habits, are we not? Are we not? What we repeatedly do we become. And some of you are praying for Pastor Phil right now and saying, is there a sermon coming anytime soon? <laughs> yes, there is. As I've been reading Mark, one of the things I've discovered more than ever is all the habits that Jesus does. And as I've been reading it, there's a habit nearly in every verse that pops out. You see him do this, you see him do that, you see him not do this, you see him not do that. He has specific boundaries that are in his life that leads him to be in a place that he's always serving the Father, that he's always serving people, that he's always loving God, that he's always loving people, and leads him to a place that he is the ultimate example for us in life and living, is he not? I mean, how many of you would like a friend like Jesus? Okay, how many of you got a friend like Jesus in your life right now that we can turn to him in times of need because he's a true and a perfect friend? So what I want to reflect on as we go through this, I want to hinge my message, if I can, on a, a verse that's to be found in Galatians 5. And I want to pose to you something that might be a little bit radical today, but you hear lots of people talk about love in the Christian life, don't you? That love is the foundation of everything. I agree with that. I agree that love is everything. In fact, Paul the Apostle said in Corinthians, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. And that is really, really important. But I want to take you to another sphere, if I can. And when the Bible, Paul, specifically to the church in Galatia, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And there are nine fruit of the Holy Spirit, aren't they? Those of you, can, those, anyone here have memorized them? Can shout them out for me? They are, starts with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Oh, and I wonder if the key to living a loving, joyful, peaceful life, because it's great to talk about those first three, love, joy, peace. How many of you want a bit of love, joy, peace? 
Oh, yes, I want a bit of love and joy and peace. What about faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? Those are quite harder for us to exemplify and to live. And so what I want to paint for you this morning, if I can, it was in Galatians 5, verse 22 and verse 23, that lists those fruits of the Spirit, that those are the things that we should see in a believer's life. I want to use those, if I can, and maybe share with you this morning that the secret of Jesus' life is just as much in self-control as it is in his love. That is out of Jesus' control in his private life, in his personal life, in his family life, and in his public life, that as he has a grounded assurance and authority, first of all, in his identity and who he is and what he's been called to do, and secondly, that he trusts implicitly in the Father's a plan for him and his life. Irwin spoke so well last week, didn't she, on uh, sons of God, and not just that, that who we are in him, but what he has deposited in our lives as sons of God. Wasn't that a great message? And this morning, as we reflect this morning on who we are and understanding that we are his sons, that we are his daughters, I want to ask you the question, how self controlled are you in life you see we are living in unique times we're living in times where as we discussed in the weeks that have just passed we have one of these devices how many of you got one of these in your handbag right now in your back pocket a mobile phone and Carl Newport in his book that he's written called Deep Work and, an, and another book that he's called, called written called Digital Minimalism sorry, let me say that again, digital minimalism, says that unless we, and I'm speaking specifically to young people here, young people, unless we can control our screen time, then these things are liable to destroy our lives. Far from bringing us stress-free living, we're living in a world that needs likes, we're living in a world that we need to know what's going on and we don't give our brains any time to cycle down whatsoever. And so the title of my message to you this morning is simply called Unplugged or Unhinged. You see, because Jesus has these fundamental habits in his life that I want to share with you this morning... That's how he becomes plugged into God strongly is because he unplugs himself from the busyness of life around him. And that's what prevents him from becoming unhinged. Have you ever felt like you're becoming unhinged? Right now, some of you are, you know, there's a million and one things going on in our minds right now because our minds are so full of tasks for tomorrow that we've got to get done. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. How many of you feel sometimes as if your world is just going to implode with all the tasks that you have to do and all the things you've got to achieve? Hands up. It's relentless. Particularly those of you, I don't know how you do it, those of you that have got two or more jobs, we live in unique times. Unique types of zero contract hours, uh, employment contracts that are just a scandal, aren't they? And that, that now people have to have several jobs in order to make 
ends meet and they have to balance rotors and raise kids and do all of what they do. I have no idea how some people do it. But I want to point out to you, if I can, this morning from Scripture, some habits that if we exercise self-control in our lives, that we, instead of becoming unhinged, might unplug ourselves from life, leave the mobile phone aside, switch the TV off, get rid of all the things that are a distraction, and live like Jesus in a simple way that we might discover the Father heart of God afresh. So let's dive into the scriptures together, shall we? Before we do that, let's pray. Come on, pray with me. Come on. Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the gospels that you have given to us, the good news about Jesus. And as we turn to the gospels today, and specifically the gospel of Mark, Lord, show us these things from your word today, that as you exercise self-control, that as we do the same, that if we live like Jesus, we too can really discover afresh what it is to have a newness and a freshness of life that love joy and peace might, fulfill, might fill our lives afresh again today, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things I'm encouraged about that is happening in modern times at this moment in time is there's a total renaissance, if you like, or there's a total kind of influshing into society at the moment of spiritualism. How many of you noticed it? is that far from being atheistic, our society is moving quite quickly at a rate of knots because of the emptiness that's in people's lives, we are moving to become more and more spiritual. Have you noticed it? Have you noticed it? How uh, apps like Headspace have been developed to help us to meditate and to ponder on our thoughts and to collect things in a, an orderly way and realign things in our lives. And there's so many business leaders and there's so many uh, prominent celebrities and there's so many sports people and athletes that more and more of them are becoming spiritual. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing because it helps us, uh, for those of us that believe in the exclusivity and the inclusively in inclusivity of the gospel of Christ. I have swallowed something today that mixed my, uh, mixed my tongue up. You see, the Bible and Christianity is unique. You see, is that the Bible does not teach that there are many ways to God. The Bible is exclusive. Christianity is exclusive. It says that there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So the Bible is particularly exclusive. You can't be multi-faith and be a Christian. We cannot believe in a hodgepodge of other beliefs that we've got. The Bible is quite exclusive in its inclusivity. And what I mean is exclusive. It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But thank God for John 3.16. That says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So it's an inclusive 
in its exclusivity. And so I love the fact that all these spiritual conversations are taking place in society at this moment in time, that we are able to share the good news, the gospel about Jesus. And it leads us to have all kinds of conversations about this word that is becoming more popular now than ever. Words like meditation or words like solitude. To be by yourself, just me, myself and I. How many of you have got times of solitude that you build into your day? That you switch off? Please tell me you don't reach for the phone first thing in the morning. It starts there. It's a pile of bad news. Maybe spend half an hour just before you start your day just to collect your thoughts. Grab a cup of coffee or try and get a rhythm in your life that's a little bit different before filling your life with all the stress that's to come. And the first scripture that I want to share with you this morning is to be found in Mark chapter 1 verse 35. You're only going to get 35 verses into Mark chapter 1 before you see that Jesus has self control has a good habit in first of all his personal life he's got good habits in what personal life have you got a good habit in your personal life to unplug yourself lest you become unhinged you see, solitude gives us time to be able to collect our thoughts, be able to process things. I mean, how many of you have ever done that? You know, the days before radios were in cars, how many of you remember those? Before the, we had Bluetooth and could connect it. How many of you used to, you know, drive in a car and jump into the car and you would drive from A to B and have no actual knowledge that you'd actually gone from A to B? How many of you had that? Because... You are processing thoughts, you are thinking things, and some of you, even though the radio might be on, you tune out and you can process your thoughts. And this is what Jesus did in verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Do you know if there's something I'm learning about prayer and solitude? It's that I maybe have become guilty in my earlier life of turning solitude and prayer into just another to-do list. I remember reading a book called The Hour That Changed the World. How we could split 60 minutes up into 12 five-minute processes. Five, 12 five-minute sections. And I remember me watching my watch as I kept these five minutes and I would do the first bit, which was adoration. I would thank God for all his kindness and goodness. And now I'm into the next 10 minutes, and I would go into thanksgiving. And I would start all this thanksgiving. And then we go through all the kind of different types of prayers, of intercession and supplication and everything, and we finish. And it would stress me out. How many of you are just stressed at the thought of my own prayer time right now? How many of you are? And one thing, I remember reading a quote from Christine Kane, a great uh, Australian author and speaker. And she said something that I found very, very helpful in life some years ago. And she said this. I believe, she said, that stress is caused by what we don't do, not what we do. Stress is caused by what we don't do, not by what we do. 
You see, don't for a moment think that my wife just walks the dogs, takes Betsy and Bailey and takes them for a walk with her furry friends. No. One of the things, one of the benefits that my wife has in taking the dogs for a walk, if you've seen many of the Facebook posts that she does, is that it gives her time to be with God and be with nature and, and process thoughts and be in solitude. What's your place of solitude? I can lose myself. Personally, I'll share with you, I can lose myself for 10, 15 minutes in a shower sometimes. I can. Because as the water is on my head, how many of you love that hot water on your head feeling? Come on, it's better than a massage. Come on. Come on. And as that ray of heat is just on my head, I can lose myself sometimes where I'm thinking, God, you're so good. I thank you for this hot water on my head. You're so good to me. Oh. And I begin to ponder and think of the goodness. How many of you want to shower right now? <laughs> where do you hear from God? Where's your solitude? Do you hear from him in the morning as Jesus did? I like what uh, I went shared with us last week, that sometimes Jesus got up in the night and sometimes he got up in the morning. He was both morning person and night down was the Lord Jesus in the way that he... But where's your solitude? You see, for us to have a victory in our personal lives, we must spend time by ourselves. We must unplug lest we become unhinged. The second scripture I want to share with you was from Mark chapter 6, verse 34. Not only do we see that Jesus has self-control in his personal life, we also see that he has self-control in his family life. Lee, can you put up for me Mark 6, verse 32, please, so we can share that scripture together. Mark chapter 6, verse 32. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. You see, this scripture comes just after a conversation that's taken place where, as Irwin shared with us last week, that story about Jesus, you know, being missing for a few days and he was in the temple and how he says, look, don't you know that I've got to be about my father's business? You can read the story in, in the early um, chapters of Mark's gospel where his family think he's going nuts. They literally think that Jesus is going crazy. And so they go to get him. Literally, his family go to, to get him. And here in particular, in the story in Mark chapter 6, he finds himself amongst his own. And they all start saying things like, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this the brother of James and Judas? And other? Yes, J Jesus did have a brother called Judas as well. And is isn't this this guy? Isn't this like our, one of our family members? And Jesus, quickly after this text that comes, that drills into maybe his identity and who God has called him to be, even amongst his family, he is prepared to back out of there, walk away, and cross in a boat to be in a solitary place. And I want to tell you that you will even have attack from your family as a Christian. 
about those things that God has spoken to you, about those things that God has challenged you to do, find yourself in a solitary place. Exercise self-control that we might not just have a victory in our personal lives, but secondly, that we enjoy a victory in our family lives, knowing what God has called us to do. Not just in our family life, in Mark chapter 6, verse, verse 4, but in his ministry life, we see that Jesus once again has self-control, he has good habits, and he knows what it is to have boundaries within his life. Mark chapter 5, verse 37. In Mark chapter 5, verse 37, we read this story. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. This is interesting, isn't it? I mean, Jesus, has he got favorites here? What's going on here in this text? Why does Jesus exercise this kind of boundary, this kind of control? And quite often, we see later on that at the transfiguration, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. And whilst there's the 72 and there's the 12, Jesus is doing something unique with these three people for some reason. I don't know. Is, are those the people that Jesus can be the most comfortable with? I mean, the, di the disciples would send most of us crazy, wouldn't they? I mean, Thomas, always doubting. And, yeah. you know, John always saying how clever he is or whatever it is. The one who Jesus loved. You know, wouldn't they just drive you nuts maybe? But Peter, James, and John here are afforded a place that none of the others are. You see, he had security and he had self-control in his ministry too in what god had called him to do in life he was quite clear about the boundaries for success and i want to ask you the same question what is your ministry in life because a lot of the time we could paint ministry as just being something that's spiritual that is just you know our ministry here in church and what we do your ministry is what god has called you to do with your gifts if God has called you to teach and be a teacher, then teach to the glory of God. If God has called you to be a, uh, a doctor, then pick up that scalpel and make people well for the glory of God. And even if you're someone here like Gary at the back, that he helps keep safe, people safe at night. That's what he does. Please don't, don't call the job, I fit burglar alarms. You bring stress-free living to the planet so that people can be safe at night in their beds. Isn't that a ministry? That when people go on holiday, they can set the alarm and they know hey, they'll have an early warning call and red care will turn up. Isn't that, that's a ministry. Isn't that a ministry? Or you don't agree? God has called you to do something. Write a tune. Write a book. Teach. Care. God has given you a specific ministry. And people will attack that ministry. People will. Oh, what do you want to do that for? What do you want to go and do that, masters? You know, what do you want to do that for? You know, you haven't got better things to do with your time. As we seek to be better at what we do. And Jesus here has got 
clear boundaries and self-control in his ministry as well. So not only can we see that Jesus has really good habits and self-control in his personal life, in his family life, his ministry life, but finally as we close, we see that he has boundaries in public life too. Oh, don't we wish people had boundaries in public life, don't we? Don't we? In a world that is more public now than it ever has been, I wish people would share less sometimes. Do you? I wish people would maybe keep them thought, their thoughts to themselves a bit more. But in public life more than anywhere, it was no different in Jesus' time. No different to what it is now. And this isn't a millennial message. This isn't a message to just people that are struggling to cope with mobile phones. This is a message that's a lesson in life that's 2,000 years old from the Bible to us today. You see, because before mobile phones ever came to existence, we had this thing called TV, didn't we? And we were going to fry our brains by watching TV. Were we? Bad habits replacing good habits and before TV what was it what was it radio that you listen to the wireless say that to your children these days listen to the wireless and they're going what what the Wi-Fi doesn't say anything dad we listen to the, and before that Walkman. Walkmans yeah but before that, what is it? It's all kinds of people. And in Jesus' time, what was it? It was the crowd. It was the teachers of the law. It was the Pharisees. It was publicans and sinners. That's what they said about Jesus. He associates with publicans and sinners and tax collectors and all these kind of people that he shouldn't do. Jesus had boundaries in his public life whether it was the people whether it was the Pharisees or God forbid at times even the disciples I'm sure you know that section the east of the Pharisees and they're all looking at each other about the 4,000 and the 5,000 the feeding and they're going like what did he just say that because we like about the bread you know it's a really strange passage of scripture that we can get caught up in but people are the same the world over no matter the culture no matter the color of the skin, no matter our upbringing, we all want to belong and we all want to believe in something that's greater than ourselves and we all want fulfillment in life. I want to suggest to you today that if we exercise self-control in our lives this week, that in our public lives, as we have boundaries for the certain things we will do and not do, that we will become people that have gentleness and self-control and we won't get involved in office gossip or tearing that person down but instead we will maybe politely just move to the side and get on with our lives quietly living at peace with everyone as is the commandment from God and that in our public lives we will be people of integrity and people of good character living like Jesus did and living like Jesus in our lives today because we know that the power of the public comes from power in private. You see, if we can't lead ourselves, how can we expect to be leading others? 
if we can't influence ourselves and have the strength of character to not hit snooze on the alarm clock or to do all of these things in our lives that collectively can send us into absolute turmoil. Maybe what some of us need to do is to take a TV diet or take a digital fast and to unplug ourselves from, from the world. Plug ourselves into Jesus. Find solitude in Him. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will be ours. Will you join with me as I pray? And I want to pray for one thing. If there was maybe a prayer that John Lennon had. It was a prayer for world peace. And no more is the cause for peace ever being greater. As we look at where our nation is today, some of the choices in government that have been made over the last 24 hours, we see more division, we see more polarity, both locally here at home in the UK, but as well as at all over the world. We see US and China, and see all kinds of things that's going on. Is there ever been a time that we need greater peace? I would suggest to you that peace on the inside is what's needed in order that peace can come on the outside. Let us live the model of Christ, which is to have self-control in our lives, that we might, through that self-control, through that gentleness, through that faithfulness, exemplify love, peace, and joy to the world. Father God, I pray right here at this hour for troubled hearts. Lord, as we've already said today, as we commit so many of our young people to go away to university, others changing school, Lord, there can be so many anxieties and so many problems and so many things that they foresee. Oh God, I just pray that the peace of God will be theirs right now in the new chapter of their lives. Lord, for people that are struggling with individual issues in their life, Lord, may your peace be theirs today. But Lord, help us all to take control for the things that we can. That this week, that we would start afresh and that we would start with you. And that the solitude and the peace and the coming alongside to be fill our lives afresh today and tomorrow and the days to come I ask in Jesus name Amen This message was brought to you by ABC Church For more information please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000